Welcome, book nerds, to a new episode of the Gene Book Nerd Podcast. Today, we'll be speaking with Robert McCaw, author of Fire and Vengeance. Having killed his father's nemesis and gotten away with it, Hilo, Hawaii's chief detective, Koa Kane, is not your ordinary cop. Estranged from his younger brother, who has been convicted of multiple crimes, he is not from a typical law enforcement family. Yet, Koa's secret demons fuel his unwavering drive to pursue justice. So, let's get right into it and learn more about Robert and his new book. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Robert, about your new book. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm delighted to have the opportunity. So, your new book that's coming out soon is called Fire and Vengeance. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your new book? Well, um, I've uh, uh, been writing uh, this series um, uh, on Koe Koakani, who is the uh, chief detective in Hilo, Hawaii. This is the third book in the series, uh, coming after uh, Death of a Messenger, which was the first, uh, and Off the Grid, which is the second. Um, I... Uh, got very much interested in Hawaii when um, I started living out there part-time, and I realized that uh, the tourist uh, view of Hawaii is uh, actually quite misleading. Um, there's a lot more going on underneath the surface, um, what I call the real Hawaii, uh, than uh, you see uh, uh, with uh, palm trees in Waikiki. Uh, as for myself, um, I grew up in a military family, uh, lived uh, pretty much all over the world. I uh, got to know lots of people to appreciate a diverse uh, society, which may be one of the things that attracted me to uh, to uh, Hawaii and to the Big Island. Um, I uh, was in the military, um, uh, and uh, then uh, uh, actually because of the military, wound up in law school, practiced law for a long time, started writing while I was still um, uh, a practicing lawyer which um, is a really slow process. Um, uh, and after I uh, retired, I uh, took it up full time and I've just uh, had a ball with it. It's lots of fun. Nice. I'm sure you can, you know, just let your imagination run wild whenever, you know, when it comes to writing. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I try very hard to write um, stuff that is interesting but is plausible. Um, I really don't like the uh, mysteries or thrillers where either the, the protagonist is a hopeless drunk who somehow manages to muddle through uh, or turns out to be a superhero. I want it to be realistic, and I've tried to bring my uh, uh, criminal law experience and my experience with law enforcement and with prosecutors and with judges uh, into the book, in, a, in, in each of the books, in uh, a very realistic way. Um, but at the same time, um, using some of the tricks of the trade and some of the uh, things that I've watched uh, prosecutors and judges do that make uh, that make for more interesting reading. That's that's actually really interesting that you say that, because kind of thinking about it, you know, I, I know a lot of books, you know, like you said, there's there's a big underdog and he has to, you know, really rise above, you know, some something that's very limiting to kind of save the day or something like that. Like you said, you know, like a drunk or a become turns out he's a superhero. So the fact that you said, you know, you want to keep it really realistic. I actually really appreciate that. 
Well, uh, and that doesn't mean that you don't have really complicated and complex characters. Uh, I mean, Kulla uh, 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 is, is, is a complex character because um, while he grew up very poor in a, in a very small rural community in the, the north part of the big island of Hawaii, his father worked in the sugar uh, industry uh, and was, uh, was killed in a horrible uh, accident. And Koa finds out um, uh, in uh, pursuing uh, some of his father's friends that it really wasn't an accident, that it was uh, the result of a bitter dispute with uh, the mill manager. And uh, Koa, as a reckless teenager, tracks down the mill manager and uh, gets into a fight with the man uh, and without really intending to kill him, winds up killing him uh, and uh, covers up the crime, gets away with it. Uh, and it affects his desire to, his guilt drives him to help other people, and his experience as a criminal uh, uh, enables him to uh, see into the criminal mind uh, and to carry with him a, a level of uh, suspicion and paranoia that makes him a really good detective. Interesting. It, it sounds really, uh, you know, it sounds really captivating. Well, I, that's what I hope. You know, one of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that um, I love as an author is when somebody comes up to me and says that they have read the book and that they, they like it or they want to discuss it. And I'm particularly pleased when people who've been to Hawaii and who've been to the Big Island and have been in some of the smaller rural spots say, you know, it really feels like I was there. That, that always, uh, I feel like it's an author, I mean, I feel like that's probably, you know, every author's goal when they have it, a book set in a certain location to, you know, have a reader feel like when they actually go to that place that they, you know, from reading your book, and then they visit that actual location, they feel like they are, they've already been to that place, so. Uh, well, one of the reviewers of uh, one of the earlier books said it was like a vacation to Hawaii. And, uh, that uh, that kind of appealed to me in this age of uh, of uh, COVID, because uh, we're all stuck at home. Uh, we're all thinking about the vacations that we cannot take uh, in reality. So a uh, a virtual uh, vacation through a book is a pretty good idea. Oh, uh, you don't have to don't have you've got me convinced already. <laughs> So I'm really interested to to know, to dive a little deeper into something you said earlier, where you said you know you you've lived in Hawaii part time, and the kind of the view that uh, tourists have of Hawaii really isn't Hawaii. There's there's a lot more to it. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. I mean, start start with something very simple, like the flowers and the plants. Uh, most people don't realize that uh, most of those uh, beautiful ornamentals that you see and you think of as Hawaii, the hibiscus and uh, uh, those flowers, they're not native. They're not native plants at all. They were all imported. Uh, and then you look around and you see uh, all kinds of animals in Hawaii. You see cows, and horses, pigs. Um, none of those are native. The only mammal native to Hawaii was the bat. Um, and so the Polynesians brought all of, uh, of these things, or Westerners brought them at some point. Um, uh, and there's a whole 
history and culture that underlies the society, which goes a lot deeper than hula girls uh, and luau's. Um, uh, I don't know the the original Hawaiians who took double hulled canoes across two thousand miles of hostile ocean um, actually practiced human sacrifice. Uh, uh, and so it's a very different culture from which uh, the, the Hawaiian nation, and it was indeed a nation uh, long before the U.S. Uh, 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 appropriated it, um, uh, has a whole, a whole history, a whole uh, culture, a whole language um, that um, is fascinating when you get into it. Um, uh, talk uh, for a minute about clothing. They used um, uh, kapa, which is a form of bark cloth, uh, intricately designed. Um, uh, they uh, mined um, uh, hard rock for stone tools at above 10,000 feet on Mauna Kea. Uh, just imagine doing that in uh, the, the bitter winter weather up there. And how did, you, how did they survive? How did they get up and down? All of those issues uh, I've tried to play and bring into the books in one way or another to show people that, you know, it's not hibiscuses and palm trees and sandy beaches. Interesting. Now, I'm definitely going to have to check this out because I, I never knew that about Hawaii. So, I'm, I mean, I'm learning a lot right now. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting uh, uh, culture. Uh, one of the things, for example, that the Hawaiians were way ahead of us on is some environmental practices. Um, they had, they did it through religious taboos, but the, the effect was the same. They fished for ahi, which is the tuna, only for half the year. And it was essentially forbidden to fish for the tuna the rest of the year. And that was an environmental practice that kept the tuna supply quite, uh, quite healthy. They were very advanced in aquaculture, and some of the aquaculture ponds still exist. They have intricate little devices that uh, are made with rocks and stones and, and uh, pieces of wood that uh, enable little tiny fish to come into these ponds from the ocean, particularly when the tide comes in. These fish get into the ponds. The ponds are large. The fish grow and they can't get back out through the gate. So it became a, a source of uh, farmed fish long before we started uh, uh, having uh, farmed uh, salmon in our stores. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you're, you know, really incorporating a lot of this, you know, history and these, you know, this information in your book. So I think that that just adds to its, you know, uh, re like you said, you know, the, the realism and makes people feel like they're learning not, you know, not just reading a story, but they're also learning a lot more about, you know, the Hawaiian culture and the background of Hawaii itself as well. Well, that's 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 actually one of my uh, one of my goals uh, is to is to do that, both because it's interesting um, and, you know, uh, and it can be it can be tied to the story if you uh, if you uh, are uh, inventive enough about it. All right, all right. Little tidbit for our listeners there. You know, when when they're reading this book, that they should you know definitely pay attention to the the details about the location and the you know the the information. So I want to shift uh, shift our conversation a little bit, that, uh, and I'm really curious as I'm reading about kind of the synopsis of the book. 
that there's a there's two interesting uh, bits that I wanted to talk to you about. One is uh, you tie in Koa's uh, brother, and I'm interested about that dynamic uh, and writing about that, but also the fact that you know that there's a uh, an elementary school that's built a top a volcanic vent that that basically is destroyed so i'm curious to know uh let's start with this the elementary school i'm curious to know uh how, you know what was the process for including that and coming up with that idea well um the island the big island of hawaii is essentially the tops of five volcanoes uh there are uh Loa and mauna kea which are about 14,000 feet high and are the tallest. Uh, the uh, older than either of those are the Kohala Mountains. Uh, and then there is the current uh, Kilauea, which is the uh, uh, volcano that has gotten so much publicity because of its May 2018 eruption, which uh, dramatically changed the east side of the, uh, of the Big Island. But there's also a, a, a fifth volcano called Hualalai. And Hualalai looms over the town of uh, Kona, um, which is one of the, the uh, hot sort of resort towns on the western side of the island. Uh, and most Hawaiians don't really appreciate that Hualalai, which hasn't erupted in the last 200 years, is an active volcano. There are, in fact, vents on the volcano. Uh, and um, I've, I'm fascinated by the volcanic activity, uh, and I decided that I would use that as the basis for the main plot in this uh, story, which is that um, a, a wealthy, uh, one might say Donald Trump-like developer, um, uh, created a subdivision on the side of this uh, uh, volcano where actually houses do exist. Uh, and uh, a big subdivision obviously required an elementary school, uh, and they put this elementary school over a vent. Um, and um, what happens sometimes in, in uh, a volcanic country is if you get very heavy rains, the water seeps down until it touches the uh, red hot magma, uh, and then it explodes into steam, and you get enormous pressure pressure that can literally blow up. Um, uh, and that's what happens underneath this school. Uh, and it begins as a rescue operation. But as they as they uh, do more work, they discover that the builders actually knew about this vent and they tried to cover it up. They try to put a, a huge concrete structure underneath the school to block the uh, to block the, uh, the vent. Uh, and as one of the uh, uh, geologists in the book says you can't do anything more stupid than to try to seal off a volcanic vent because as as the book says 600 um, cubic yards of concrete may be a very big plug but against a volcanic uh, eruption it's uh, it's like a regular cork and that's what happens to this school so the whole rest of the book then becomes a whodunit in terms of who built this school who knew about it uh, who knew that it was uh, um, uh, likely to explode? Uh, and in the course of uh, the, the investigation, uh, the builder and the architect get murdered, which uh, suggests that people are trying to cover something up. And that's uh, that's really where the main story goes. 
All right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, like you said, uh, you, you put a big cork on a, a volcano. Those things have massive force. It's just going to be like, you know, opening a bottle of wine. It just nothing's going to hold back the pressure of a volcano. It's like a bottle of champagne that you shook before you tried to open it. Yeah, it's probably not going to end up too well. Then you asked about the other piece, which is the brother, and uh, that's yeah. something that I've spent um, a, a lot of a lot of time and effort and research on. Actually, it's one of the most interesting parts of the research I did for this book. Uh, Koa has a brother, Aikeka, uh, Aikeka in Hawaiian means strong, and uh, his brother was very big and very strong, but uh, from a very young age was a highly disrupted child who became a felon. Uh, and that created all kinds of issues, as you can imagine, for Hawaii, the, uh, for uh, Kona, uh, for uh, Koa the cop. And uh, uh, he, his relationship with his brother becomes worse and worse. His brother blames him for everything that goes wrong in his brother's life. Until uh, finally, uh, his brother is in prison and brought back to the island to testify in a case and collapses in jail. And it turns out that uh, his brother has a, a tumor, a brain tumor. Uh, and um, uh, Koa begins with uh, some help, which um, comes from a journalist in the book, to explore the question of whether this tumor may have uh, been there since childhood and may have uh, affected uh, his brother's uh, conduct. Uh, and that becomes a, a, a really interesting um, a piece of the story where you see two brothers who were at enormous odds and really very distant and a very difficult relationship begin to repair that relationship as Koa realizes that his brother is not just this horrible criminal, but is somebody who um, uh, actually has a medical reason for being the way he is. Interesting. Did you have to do any um, like medical research on tumors to kind of like learn about how that can like affect human behavior? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I did a lot of research. Um, I also talked to a couple of doctors to try to get some of the uh, concepts and language down. But one of the er other areas that um, uh, uh, really intrigued me was that um, because of the uh, large number of brain injuries that have come out of our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the um, research in this area between the brain damage and changes in behavior uh, has accelerated dramatically in the last 10 years. Uh, and you add to that um, the brain imaging capability uh, where they are now able to actually see what happens in a person's brain subject when you subject them to certain stimulus. And so I bring that technology into the book um, uh, in terms of the treatment of uh, Koa's brother. Uh, and that was, that was research which I found fascinating and is actually uh, uh, something that I'm uh, now continuing to keep up with just because it interests me. Nice. I always I always find it really interesting talking to various authors um, about you know whenever they're you know because whenever you know the, the authors that I speak to they're always doing research for their books. It doesn't matter you know how well they know the subject. There's always different areas that they have to do research in. 
So I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. As you were doing all your research, whether it was on, you know, that, whether it was on uh, the island of Hawaii, whether it was, you know, what whatever the area, you know, geology. I'm curious, what was your kind of most, what part of the uh, the research did you find most interesting and you think that you might continue, like, wanting to learn more about it? Well, let me start with uh, with my philosophy about a novelist's research. My, my basic philosophy is life is research. Um, um, uh, you know, I meet somebody um, and I'm happy to meet them and have a discussion, but I'm also looking at them. Would this person be an interesting character? Is there something about this person that um, uh, uh, maybe it's a, a, a gesture or it's a facial expression or it's the way they wear their clothes? Um, and I, I collect these little pieces. Um, uh, just as when I was practicing law, I, I referred to uh, going through and collecting a bag of tricks. You see somebody and you see how they uh, argue a case or how they deal with a client or how they uh, uh, sympathize with the victim or how they uh, uh, use their skills in a deposition. And you, you take that, that piece that you've learned and you stick it into your bag of tricks and you see if you can find a place to use it. So I think I think of life as research for a, for a novel, and I'm looking for characters, I'm looking for settings, I'm looking for dress, I'm looking for um, uh, mannerisms. Um, uh, then obviously you 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 get to a much finer uh, detail in terms of a plot, and there's lots of research. I continue to love to do research about Hawaii. I'm constantly both reading um, uh, uh, articles, news articles that are coming out of Hawaii. Uh, there's a lot going on with the volcano with Kilauea right now that's uh, scientifically very, very interesting. There's uh, research being done in the archaeological area uh, in Hawaii that's, uh, that's fascinating. There's a revival of uh, Hawaiian arts, um, uh, kapa making and other uh, arts uh, that uh, is uh, is is fun to follow. So I I I'm doing all of that, and then this this medical aspect was something new for me. And once I conceived of the notion that uh, Ikeka was going to have this uh, seizure and collapse and uh, be subject to the brain uh, tumor, um, I uh, I did a lot of research, which I found fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the brain is, uh, is what makes us tick and, uh, it, uh, it has all kinds of, uh, of problems of its own that come from damage or from the way we treat it or from genetics. Uh, and I find that all fascinating. Interesting. Interesting. Good answer. I have to say that's a good answer. <laughs> In the process of coming up with uh, the, you know, the story for this book and in the process of writing it, you, you mentioned that, you know, you wanted to, when you learned about that, you wanted to incorporate that more into the story. How did the, did you already have kind of like a basic, like, this is what's going to happen, this is how things are going to go for the book, and then you kind of just went in and filled it in with all the details, and, or did you kind of write it as, as it went and you... Did you make a decision and, you know, say he's going to do this and then see where it led? I mean, what was the process like for coming up with this particular story? Well, um, I have what I call story points. Um, I usually know where the story is going to begin. 
So for fire and vengeance, I mean, it had to begin with the explosion at the elementary school and the rescue efforts. And I kind of knew where it was going to end. And I then had some story points that I was going to use in the in the middle of the book. Uh, one of those story points, obviously, is the relationship between Koa and his brother. Um, uh, another story point that that is a, one, another one of my fascinations um, is the when when people engage in misconduct uh, and cover it up. Uh, sometimes the effects of that don't surface for years afterward. They, they that the past comes back to haunt people. Uh, the power of the past. And um, one of the story points here is that there's a very uh, key aspect of uh, the past of some of the players that comes back to haunt them uh, in this book. Um, and so I had those story points. Uh, I know in general where I'm going to go with them, but I don't, I haven't outlined it completely. I don't know exactly how the story is going to fit together. And as I write it, I find that I actually have to go back and rewrite a fair amount because I will I will write, I'll write, let's say, 10 chapters and I'll get to chapter 12 or chapter 15 and I'll say, I'll have an, an epiphany, an epiphany and I'll say, oh my goodness, if I just set this up in an earlier chapter, this would be a great way to go here. And I'll then go back and write those, that that pre precursor into the earlier chapters. And I might do that 10 times before I get the, uh, the, the story down the way I want it. All right. So it's the story is constantly evolving and kind of flowing and, you know, you're, you're going throughout and making changes here and there, but you overall have a story structure that you, you stick with. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. How is the, um, compared to the other two books, uh, how long did this one take to write and have do you find that as you complete one of the books that the next book is easier to write or you write can write it faster or or is it the same process or longer well i told you um that i started the first book while i was still practicing law um, mm -hmm. and it took me 20 some years to finish that book so i better get faster <laughs> uh, 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 and what happens to me when I'm writing a, a book is I frequently will have ideas uh, about the characters that don't fit in the book I'm writing. And I make notes and put those aside and it's frequently become parts of the next book. Um, uh, and yes, I, I have found that um, uh, uh, the second and third books haven't taken anywhere near 20 years. Uh, and uh, the third book in, in particular, Fire and Vengeance, uh, I, I won't say it wrote itself, but it was it was uh, a joy to write. And uh, uh, it just seemed to come together uh, much more quickly than than the uh, than the earlier stories. Are you planning on having any more books in this series or is Fire and Vengeance kind of going to be the 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 end of the, the trilogy? Um, no, I have the, the fourth book is um, substantially complete. Um, uh, I'm editing it now. 
Um, and I'll, I've got some, I've got some, I, I believe in editing. Uh, I know a lot of authors don't like to be edited. They, uh, they are too uh, word proud. Uh, in practicing law, I never gave a brief to anybody to read that I didn't expect them to make it better. And if you gave me a brief to read, um, uh, you better expect me to make it better because that's what I was going to try to do. And so that editorial, that give and take process is to me very important. And I think the books get, um, you know, 20% better uh, after they're finished because um, my wife and my daughter and um, my uh, agent uh, and other people uh, read them and make suggestions, um, both small and large, that, um, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily take all those suggestions, but uh, I find a lot of them to be extremely thoughtful and useful. Um, uh, and so uh, this book is, uh, it's basically a complete, a complete first draft, and uh, it'll now go through the, the refining process. Um, I hope it's out in a year or so. Nice. Well, we'll have to definitely uh, schedule you uh, back on the podcast once that uh, book number four comes out. Well, I very much enjoy that. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any tips for anyone who might be interested in getting into writing? Because I know uh, when I've spoken to various authors, it's always interesting to hear what they have to say. Because some, some people I've talked to, you know, writing is a hobby. For some of them, it's a full-time job. But everyone seems to have their own little tidbits of advice that they like to give anyone who's interested in writing. So I'm curious what, uh, what your advice would be. Well, I, the first, first thing I, I think an author has to do uh, is they have to have command of their material. Uh, and um, uh, for the most part, that means write what you know. Um, uh, or if you don't know it, then by the time you finish your book, you better know it. Um, uh, you really got to, to, to get in and, and make, make it, uh, make it deep and make it real. Uh, the other thing I would say is I don't think you can ever make your characters too deep. Um, uh, I just think that the human, um, condition is such and people are so complicated that, um, you can dig, you can dig forever. It doesn't mean that, and let me make this clear, it doesn't mean that you you put all that in in backstory, and you certainly don't put it all in in backstory in one place, uh, because that gets very dull and boring. But if your character is deep, that, that deepness surfaces. It surfaces in the way they speak, it surfaces in the way they dress, it surfaces in the way they act, and it surfaces mostly in their interaction with other people. And so if you if you if you really know your character and if you kind of crawled inside the head of this character and then you put them in a in a, in a, in a room with a bully, you kind of know how they're going to act. Uh, and it's that kind of depth and that kind of, of um, understanding of your of your characters that I think makes for for good fiction. I think that's fantastic uh, advice to give to not just anyone who wants to be an author, but just kind of writing and writing in general to always know your source material and always do your research. 
For anyone who's interested in learning more about you and your book series, uh, what are the best ways for them to either pop, reach out to you or learn more to, uh, websites, social media platforms? Uh, well, I've, um, uh, my, uh, my website's probably the best place because I've got uh, lots of uh, reviews there. I've got some materials. I've written some blog posts. Uh, that's uh, www.robertbmacaw.com. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, uh, and uh, those are those are probably the, the, the best sources. And the best places for people to find your book, uh, I'm assuming online, is it in bookstores? Well, um, it's in bookstores, but um, one of the things that I've learned uh, with this uh, 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 coronavirus is that because most bookstores are now closed, most uh, publishers are delaying the publication of hardbacks, uh, hardcovers. Uh, Fire and Vengeance will come out in hardcover, but probably not until September, maybe even a little later, depending upon what happens to our uh, reopening of the economy. But it's available online. You can pre-order now, and it will be available, I think, uh, May 26th. The first two books in the series are already available on Amazon and uh, other places. Um, uh, so uh, uh, if you're uh, into ebooks or uh, audiobooks, uh, the second one is an audiobook, and Fire and Vengeance will be an audiobook this summer as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. It was really interesting to hear, to learn more about uh, Hawaii, especially, and just kind of learn about the this the new book in the series that's coming out. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed doing this and enjoyed chatting with you. You've got good questions. <laughs> I try. I try to I try to keep it different from every author. I try to do my research and keep the questions. There's some, you know, there's some general ones that I usually try to use to get the interview started, but I like to go very deep and very personal so that, you know, not every interview is exactly the same. Well, you do a good job of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I try. I try. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, we really appreciate it, and have a great day. All right. Thank you for uh, making this opportunity available. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast, and thanks to Robert for taking the time to talk with us. We always love talking with authors and learning not just about them and their books, but learning more about the writing and storytelling process behind them. That's it for this episode. Be sure to tune in next time for another episode of the podcast. Any parting words for us, Robert? I'm Robert McCall. I'm the author of Fire and Vengeance, and you're listening to GeneBookNerd.com.